Hello everyone, and welcome to On the Stoa. My name is John, and together, let's dive into a philosophy that has nurtured and guided the greatest men and women of history and see how we can use it to live a more meaningful life. Hello everyone, welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, I hope you get something out of it. Last week, we covered the last of the chief virtues, temperance, and how we can apply this virtue of discipline and moderation to our lives. This week, we'll be discussing a section of a well-known work by Epictetus, the Anchoridian, and we'll be discussing how we apply this book to our lives. Now, without further ado, let's get started. As with any book, it's important to understand the author and their background, as it can help us better understand their writings. When it comes to the Anchoridian, we first need to understand a little bit about the author, the slave-turned-freedman-turned-philosopher Epictetus. The Stoic philosopher Epictetus was born to a slave in Greece in 50 AD. The name his parents gave him has been lost to time, and today we know him as Epictetus, which stems from the Greek word epiktetos, meaning gained or acquired. As a consequence of his birth, he wasn't a free man himself in the literal sense, and in his early life, Epictetus was to endure the malice of an abusive master. Either as a result of his master's abuse, a defect of birth, or an illness, Epictetus also suffered from a lame leg. Fate would have it, though, that Epictetus's fortunes would change. His master, Epiphroditus, a wealthy freedman serving as secretary to Emperor Nero, yes, that Nero, allowed Epictetus to study philosophy under the Stoic philosopher Musonius Rufus. Epictetus would eventually gain his freedom, and after being expelled from Rome and the Italian peninsula by the Emperor Domitian in 89 AD, he would go on to live the rest of his life in the Grecian city of Nicopolis. He established his own school of philosophy, and became one of the most influential philosophers to have ever lived. His works are constantly quoted by Marcus Aurelius in his book, Meditations, and is also commended by numerous early Christian thinkers due to the religious tone of his teachings. Epictetus will go on to live to the ripe old age of 85, dying in 135 AD, still teaching, lecturing, and living the philosophy he believed in. As far as historians know, Epictetus never wrote down anything. One of his pupils, Arian, took it upon himself to transcribe his teachings into two works, the Anchoridian and the Discourses. Today, four out of the eight books of Discourses in the entirety of the Anchoridian have survived. Despite there being only half of the original doctrine present, what we still have today is full of wit, heartfelt poetry, and deep philosophical insights. Modern scholar of Epictetus, Robert Dobrin, said that, quote, he, being Epictetus, wants his students to make a clean break with received patterns of thinking and behaving, to reject popular morality, and to put conventional notions of good and bad behind them. In short, he aims to inspire his readers something like a religious conversion, only not by appeal to any articles of faith or the promise of life in the hereafter, but by reason alone, end quote. Despite the wisdom given to us from Epictetus, we would be wrong in assuming that he had a great life. In fact, one could say that he didn't. He grew up having an abusive master, physical disabilities, and even though he gained his freedom, Epictetus lived the rest of his life impoverished, physically lame, and in ill health. However, it was from this adversity and hardship that the works he's known for were created, and these readings contain vast amounts of wisdoms that we can apply to our lives today. 
In this, we can say that he lived a meaningful life, one that strived to live in balance with nature as best as possible and bring harmony to himself and those around him. Now, after a quick break to talk about this episode's sponsor, we'll start with the first part of this ancient manual and see how it can apply in our modern lives. Welcome back. Now that we know a little bit about the teacher that inspired the books, let's take a look at a part of the Enchiridion and see how we can apply it to our lives. This week, we'll be starting with section one. It reads as follows. Quote, Of things, some are in our power and others are not. In our power, our opinion, movement towards a thing, desire, aversion, turning from a thing, and in a word, whatever are our actions. Now, in our power are the body, property, reputation, offices, and in a word, whatever are not our own actions. And the things in our power are by nature free, not subject to restraint or hindrance, but the things not in our power are weak, slavish, subject to restraint, in the power of others. Remember then, that if you think the things which are by nature slavish to be free, and the things which are in the power of others to be your own, you will be hindered, you will lament, you will be disturbed, you will blame both gods and men. But if you think that only which is your own to be your own, and if you think that what is another's, as it really is, belongs to another, no man will ever compel you, no man will hinder you, you will never blame any man, you will accuse no man, you will do nothing involuntarily against your will, no man will harm you, you will have no enemy, for you will not suffer any harm. If you then desire or aim at such great things, remember that you must not attempt to lay hold of them with small effort, but you must leave some alone of things entirely and postpone others for the present. But if you wish these things also, such great things and power and wealth, perhaps you will not gain these very things because you aim also at those former things. Certainly you will fail in those things through which alone happiness and freedom are secured. Straight away then, practice saying to every harsh appearance, you are in appearance, and in no matter what you appear to be. Then examine it by the rules which you possess, and by this first and chiefly, whether it relates to the things which are in our power or to the things which aren't in our power. And if it relates to anything which is not in our power, be ready to say that it does not concern you. End quote. Wow. So that was a lot. Let's break this down and see what Epictetus was saying. In the first half of the section, we see Epictetus break down what is and isn't in our power or control. Some of these things we've already covered in previous episodes, but summed up, the things in our control are perceptions, choices, and actions. And anything that doesn't fall under these three things are not under our control. Next, the things we can control aren't restrained by others. They have no power over our perceptions, choice, or actions. And what is outside of our control is naturally restrained by others. We can't control those things. If we try and control the uncontrollable, we'll be unhappy, unbalanced, and unreasonably blaming others. If you choose to control what you only can control, you'll find that you'll be able to do what you want to do, and you'll live a more balanced life. In the second half of the section, we can see Epictetus mention a certain notion of living with what's enough. We have to make a choice. If we choose to follow the path of accepting what is and isn't in our control, we're going to have to work for it. It's not going to be easy. In our pursuit of this self-development goal, we'll have to stop doing certain things and work on other things at a later point. This path may end up having you not pursuing ideals such as power and wealth, but 
It's at this point that you have to decide what is and isn't enough. It's often in the pursuit of such goals that have roots in the uncontrollable that we miss the mark of our target of acceptance of what we can and can't control. You have to be willing to say that external things such as power and money aren't in your control and that to be rich and powerful one day is easy as being powerless and destitute the next. From there, you can truly start to find balance and live a meaningful life. In the final part of the section, Epictetus notes how we should be prepared to acknowledge that things outside of our control are not our concern. What this means is that things such as controlling others shouldn't be our focus. As a personal example of this, for a while, I worked hard to take responsibility for myself, but where I often fall short of this is when other people don't do the same for themselves. I'll look at some of them and think, I'm doing my best to do the right thing, why can't you? But in thinking that, I'm no longer taking responsibility for myself. Instead, I'm trying to control others. As Epictetus says, this is impossible. To help this, I've switched my thinking to have the attitude of, they may not be taking responsibility for themselves, but I need to for myself. Out of this situation, that's all I can truly expect. The one thing we truly have control over in this life is ourselves, and it's our responsibility and duty to ensure that we are acting and conducting ourselves in a way that is harmonious to ourselves and the world around us. Thank you for tuning in to On the Stoa, and I'll talk to you next time for another episode. Take care of yourself, and be well.